I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two different friends, Amy's like a golden retriever, and I'm like a grumpy cat, talk about all the amazing advantages that come from living a bookish life. Each week we do a deep dive Q&A with a book lover, an author awesome, a bookseller bingo, a member of a book club marvelous. We chat with bibliophiles from all over about why stories are integral to who they are. Our guest this week, Chelsea Hoffman, loves to feel her pulse quicken and gets excited by the idea that anything could happen. She lives her life pretty spontaneously, so her love of the thriller genre with its twists, turns, and surprise endings fit her personality just fine. After finishing college and moving to Southern California with her husband, she wanted to reconnect with her love of reading books she'd had as a child, but none of the book clubs she tried felt like a good fit. So she started a virtual book club on the Instagram platform called Thrillers by the Book Club. And as that virtual book club became popular with members all over the globe, people started asking her about in-person book clubs. Chelsea nurtured this idea, encouraging other book lovers to start their own Thriller by the Book Club chapters. And now there are over 27 chapters and more are still forming. So this week we chat with Chelsea in this episode about all the thrilling books she reads. But first, Carrie, I heard you had a little incident with a basketball. I did. I don't know what got into me. I usually help out with the youth group at the church that I haphazardly attend. There's a park right by the church. We went outside and the kids were like, we need your help playing basketball because it was uneven teams. And I think they thought that having me on the team would make it more fair. I'm like, clearly, folks, you haven't seen me play basketball. So anyway, I played basketball and managed to get smacked in the face with the basketball. It's a little better today, but I have a nice bruise and a nice bump right on my snout. And this is why I don't sport. (laughs) This is why I read my books. And as somebody I know said, books would never do that to you. And I'm like, amen. Books would never do that to me. They didn't know how un interested in sports you are oh did they know that kids just had no idea although I should say it was an accident you know nobody intentionally did it but as much as this hurts I'm actually glad I got smacked in the face with the ball because now I have a legit excuse to stop playing so there you go there you go (laughs) looking on the bright side of that but I just want to point out that you referred to your nose as a snout. Yeah, well. like there's lots of other words you could have used, but there's the there's the English person in you. Well, I don't know. I think of a snout as being like a pig or something. That's not even like a dog or a cat thing. Yeah, I don't know. That I could have called it my schnoz. See, that that's was what the I was other thinking word. of. Schnoz. Yeah. yeah, that's me. I got to <laughs> synonym it up. <laughs> I was going to say, you've been on a little bit of a nature kick this weekend. I have, and I'm really enjoying it. So the people who follow me on Instagram might be like, oh, God, because I think I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) Fair warning, right? Fair warning. So announcement, I have spring fever. Uh, (laughs) And we've had a lot of nice days in a row and all the flowers are blooming and I've started taking daily walks, which I should, which I should have been doing for a long time. But I'll admit that when it's cold and it's rainy, I am not a huge walker. So I started taking these walks and taking pictures of things 
that I see on my walk, right? And then I think, oh, I should pair that up with a little quote. It's poetry month, right? It's still National Poetry Month. Right. And so I think I should pair it up with a little line of poetry that's about that subject. And I have so enjoyed doing that. That little practice of taking the, the photo of something, sometimes nondescript, like the one I posted yesterday is really considered a weed, but it has a pretty little bloom on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just really enjoy it. So I'm going to keep on doing it at least for a little while until somebody says, stop. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if you post one more picture of a flower. No, well, I like flowers. I, I, yeah, like, I well, like weeds. I like I did one with a dandelion and, you know, there was like, it was a really blue sky with some white wispy clouds and I had the dandelion in my hand and I don't know, I thought it made for just a really cool picture and I love the dandelion because it's, yeah, it's a weed, but it also is kind of beautiful. That's the thing about weeds, right? Like a weed to one person is a flower to another person. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'm going to hashtag that what I see on my walk. But did you see the video that I took of Susie walking to our golden retriever (laughs) peaches yesterday? Yes. You mean dragging her through the water? It was just funny. So our golden retriever is the laziest dog you have ever seen. She thinks that she likes to go on a walk, but then she goes like one or two streets and she doesn't really want to walk anymore. But what she does love to do is swim, but we don't have a lot of opportunities for her to swim. I mean, on occasion, but not like on a daily basis. But we do have a little lake near our house and we were taking a family walk yesterday and my daughter had her on one of those retractable leashes and Peaches got in the water before my daughter could stop her and started swimming alongside my daughter as she's walking along the path around the lake. And it went pretty well. I'm watching it right now. Yeah. So it just looks like she's walking her except for Peaches is swimming alongside (laughs) instead of walking alongside. And she liked that so much better until she had to get the requisite bath when she got home because she was kind of yucky. So I don't think that this is a like a daily thing, you know, because she'd have to get a bath every day. And I don't think she'd like that, nor would the person having to give her the bath like that. that, I would see that would interfere with some scheduling things. So Yeah, but it was pretty cute. That was funny. Um, Well, I don't know. I'm not sure which of those two things that we talked about are more thrilling. But I think Chelsea has lots of thrilling things to talk about. The Thrillers by the Book Club. Are you ready to talk to Chelsea? Let's do it. Chelsea Hoffman, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I am so excited to be talking with you both. So you are a huge thriller reader, but when you are not reading, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Oh, your day job, like so to the speak. hardest question <laughs> to answer questions like, what do you do? Um, I am a director of admissions and recruitment for a pharmacy school. So I work with students who want to go into the field of pharmacy and a majority of my job is traveling. So recruiting students from all over the country. So I am super fortunate in that aspect because you know, when you travel, you get to eat food from all over, you get to go to bookstores from all over. So it's it's a really fun job. So when you're not doing that, you are the creator of Thrillers by the Book Club. So that is a, a book club that obviously focuses on books that are thrillers or sort of related genres. So is that a genre that you've always loved? Yes, it's so funny, because I've always 
found thrillers so intriguing. I read my first book when I was three, my mom always says, and she's super proud of that. (laughs) But I started with like the boxcar children series that were like super basic mysteries. And then I started reading Nancy Drew and like the Hardy Boys and all of those type of books. So even since I've been younger, I've always been intrigued by like mysteries and books that you didn't necessarily know what the ending is. Is there a thriller, the first one that you remember really having an impact on you? Would it be one from your childhood or would it be something, you know, as an adult? Oh, that's a good question because, yeah, I I guess I would say probably the Nancy Drew series. They're not necessarily a thriller, but I remember one Christmas my parents bought me the whole set. It's like a hundred and something books. And I was just like, this is my dream. (laughs) I have a hundred books in a box and I read every single one. And that was just it. I was like, I love this. I love thrillers. Oh, do you still have it now? Did you keep it? I do. Oh, good, good. (laughs) My 10-year-old self is so jealous of having all (laughs) of the Nancy Drew books all in one place because I love the Nancy Drew books. I know. Well. And I used to go to the library and get them one at a time. And that day I was like, wow, I have the world at my fingertips. I have every book. <laughs> you know, we've talked to like people who love rom-coms and they sort of love mm-hmm. that they always know what to expect, right? Like the, the genre is sort of formulaic and they always know what they're going to get. But I'm curious, you know, you said when you were just talking about what you've enjoyed is that you never knew what the ending was going to be. So, mm-hmm. so do you feel like your love of thrillers relates in any way to whether you're an, a, a chill person or an anxious person? Or do you feel like it relates in any way to your sort of natural personality? I think so. I mean, I like thrillers because I don't know what's going to happen. I like having that sense of mystery and it's more spontaneous, which in my life, that's kind of my personality as well. Like I, at any moment I can just pick up and do whatever. I'm very like in the moment type of person. So I think that's why too, it it just adds to that sense of adventure because with a thriller, you never know what you're going to get. And I like that in my life. I remember I was working at a summer camp one summer when I was in college and it was between my sophomore and junior year. And at that camp, so I was at at school in Washington state and I met all these people who went to school in the state of Nebraska. And I was like, huh, I've never once thought about the state of Nebraska. I don't know anything about it. And they were like, oh, you should just uh, transfer here in the fall. And I was like, okay. So I, (laughs) one week before school started, I filled out all my paperwork all in a week, drove cross country, started at school in Nebraska, just like on a whim. Um, So yeah, I love like having the ability to do whatever I want at any moment. (laughs) That is a crazy story. So did you end up staying in Nebraska and graduating from there? I did. I stayed in Nebraska for the second two years. I met my husband and then we moved out to California once we both graduated. Oh my goodness. I feel like I've always been reinforced like positively from being spontaneous. So it just adds on, you know, like I'll do things and then it turns out well. So I'm like, huh, that was a good choice. I'll just keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're talking about thrillers, how would you categorize a thriller? Like what about a book makes it a thriller? Well, I think thrillers are books that have 
fast-paced plot, have a lot of tension. I mean, I love books that surrounded by a murder, but it doesn't have to be a murder. It can be any crime. Just something that keeps you on your toes, something unexpected that makes your heart pound and your hands sweat. That's how I usually think of thrillers in my mind. So do you have like a favorite subgenre of thriller? Because I'm thinking of things like, you know, there's crime thrillers and there's psychological thrillers or there's political thrillers. Do you have one that's a particular favorite? Yes. Psychological thrillers always. I love psychological thrillers because I feel like in general, those are the ones that have the ending that you're like, wait, what? I have to reread this whole book. They have a lot of like unreliable narrators and things that you don't even think about at all. And then it comes around and you're like, ah, it all falls into place. Okay. So then my question would be, so then would you consider mystery or true crime? Are those also on the thriller spectrum when you're, you know, thinking about it? I mean, I think they're all on the same spectrum. So, you know, there's like cozy mysteries, there's mysteries, there's thrillers, there's true crime, there's like Scandinavian crime, like they're all yeah, kind of related. But it just depends on the author, I think, because some mysteries are thrilling, and some mysteries are not as thrilling. <laughs> right. You were saying that you love the psychological thriller. And I feel like I could be completely off, but I feel like Gone Girl, when Gone Girl Mm -hmm. came out, like then there was an explosion of psychological thrillers. Totally. I agree. I was just doing like a little question answer thing on my Instagram the other day and someone asked me what I thought about Gone Girl. And I was like, to be honest, I feel like that book started a revelation in the genre because people always compare books this is the next Gone Girl, you know? <laughs> and that's really something to be said for that book, that that is the, what people hold up and compare to a giant twist, a great thriller that really catches you off guard and reinvigorated the genre. When I read Gone Girl, when it first came out, it completely blew my mind. And I had never read a book like that. That's almost like a seminal book for modern psychological thrillers. Everyone's trying to somehow recreate that, that feeling. So one of the questions that I want to ask, you know, because we're talking about all of these, you know, different genres and subgenres, I'm sure that you have favorite standout thriller books that you've read. You might have three, you might have five, you might have 50, but what are some of the ones that sort of stand out to you? You know, you mentioned Gone Girl. Are there others that you feel like they sort of always stick in your mind as being really excellent examples of the genre? Yeah, I think a lot of them are more recent books because to be honest, before the last like four or five years, I was reading like five books a year. For, and now I'm up to like whatever, 150 books. So oh I definitely expanded my view of different thrillers. So yeah, to answer your question, definitely the classic Agatha Christie and then there were none. I read that a few years ago and I was like, wow, it's both a classic book, but it's been replicated so many times that you know it's good. That idea of there's people in a locked room mystery setting and then they slowly start getting killed and you know who's who's doing it is it someone there is it someone we don't know so that one got me really excited for sure and then more recent books i read a book called nothing important happened today it 
is about cults and I love cult books. I don't know what it is about cult books, but they really get me. And this one was done so well. I think cult books can be done either really, really well or they can be a huge letdown. So this one was definitely one of the ones that you're just left hanging open mouthed like what just happened in a good way. His and Hers by Alice Feeney was a really, really good one. I love all her books, but that one, it was another one where I just didn't see the ending coming, which is always something that I'm surprised by since I read so many thrillers that if I don't know what's going to happen, I'm like really impressed. I'm like, Mm. this is, this is a good book. And then more recently in my dreams, I hold a knife is Mm. one that came out and we actually chose it for one of our book club picks. And that was, it was a debut. So good. It just leaves you speechless because there's so many intricate details that go into making a book. I I get a lot of questions like, would you ever write a thriller? No, no, (laughs) never. (laughs) I don't have that brain. It's just so impressive that people can tie things together in a way that leaves you like they've been planning this the whole time. How did they do it? I want to know a little bit more about how you went from reading five books a year to like 150 books a year. What what happened? Uh, Graduated college. (laughs) (laughs) I started reading for fun. In my childhood, I read a lot. I was a big reader. And then throughout, you know, high school, college, I didn't really make time for reading. It was more school and social events. And then when I graduated and we moved out here, I kind of got back into it because it's, I mean, reading is such a good hobby and I just had more time to read. And so I slowly started reading more. And then I found the Bookstagram community and I was like, ah, yes, I'm not alone here. There's people just like me. And then I just kept, kept going with it. That weaves really nicely into talking about thrillers by the book club. Tell Mm -hmm. us just a little bit about thrillers by the book club. Yeah. So I wanted a book club just in general at first. And I looked around my local area and I was like, hmm, no, these aren't for me. And so I had the idea to start a online thriller book club. And it actually started, I posted on, I think I posted it on Facebook and someone responded like, yeah, I'll help you with that. And so we kind of started the online version of the book club. And I, I literally just started it by posting on my Instagram, like, does anyone want to read a book with me? And it kind of just blew up from there, especially having the thriller aspect. There's a, like so many thriller lovers out there that it just started growing and growing. And I really had no idea that there were so many people that would be interested in joining. But I think the fact that it started out as virtual was great because people from all over the country could join. And it wasn't just the local book club that I was looking for, because it is kind of hard to find people around you with no jumping off point. I know that now you still do the virtual book club, but there's also 27 in-person chapters of thrillers by the book club. So how did you transition to to first having it virtual to then having in-person and then now like all over the country? Yeah. So I started the in-person Southern California chapter with my friend Yolanda. So she also loves thrillers. And she was like, we should just do an in-person chapter of the thrillers by the book club. And I was like, it's such a good idea. We should, especially because having bookstagram, I started meeting people from my local area. You know, they would say like, oh, you're in Southern California, me too. And there was all these book events going on and 
like Orange County and the LA area that I would go out to and started meeting people that way. So um, I met some local friends and then, yeah, so she was like, we should just start an in-person book club. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I posted about it on my Instagram. By then I had enough followers that it was a lot of more local people and we got pretty good response for our Southern California one. So we started with like six people that were excited about it and it's just kept growing. Now we're at the point where we maxed out at 20 and we're actually telling people like, Hey, there's a wait list, you know, because it's really important to us to have a group that you can get to know everybody. And it's not like a rotating door of people in and out. So we've kind of capped it for now, but once I posted the picture of our in-person meeting, I was flooded with people like, oh, is there a chapter here and here? And I'm like, no, but you can start it. I would love to, if this would expand. And people saw that it was kind of transitioning to an in-person group. So they got so many people just on that picture reaching out, wanting to start one in their area, asking for help. And I'm like, perfect. I would love to help you guys get that started um, and make it like a chapter of the virtual club. So with the virtual component, what did those meetings look like? And was this before 2020 when every book club like had to go virtual? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. So good question. It was pretty recently after I started my book Instagram or bookstagram or whatever you want to call it that I, I noticed people doing buddy reads with people, but that was very transient, you know, you do a buddy read and then be like, well, bye, never really going to talk to you again. So that's why I thought the idea of the virtual book club was cool because you would still be meeting with pretty much the same people every month and you would kind of get to know them even if it was a virtual setting. So yeah, it actually started in November of 2019, the first online book club. And I started it by just posting on my Instagram story, kind of like a buddy read type thing, like, oh, if anyone wants to read this. And then I created an Instagram page for the virtual book club so people could follow along there. And then that's now how I do it each month. So each month I post whatever book we're going to be reading as an announcement on my Instagram and the book Instagram. And then I do something on the stories, just a very simple poll, like, do you want to be part of it? Yes or no? And then anyone who says yes, I add them to a group chat or several group chats on Instagram. And so people can start introducing themselves, getting to know each other. And then we always discuss on the first of each month. So it's like a rolling chat until then. And then the first of each month, we discuss the book. And it started with just me. And now I have some people who have volunteered to be chat admins and kind of come up with questions and lead the chat. So if we have like three or four or five chats going, it's not just me like switching between each chat in a panic. It's more of everyone leads one. And yeah. And then we just do that every single month. So every month new people can join whoever wants to read the book. Sometimes it's like, oh, I already read that book. I don't want to be a part of it. Or I didn't read that book and I want to be a part of it. So it's always different members, but they can just find out about each month by following our general Instagram or by following me. So I was thinking like virtual was, you know, on Google Meets or Zoom or something like that. It sounds like it, this is more of like a chat where people are typing their comments and having discussions through a chat format. Do I have that right? Yeah. So it's just like a big group chat on Instagram, like a rolling chat, because we get people who join from 
you know, New Zealand and Australia and the UK. And so I didn't want to do a face-to-face chat because those people would miss out on it. Mm-hmm. And we're all in different time zones too. So I, I did, I just want to keep it pretty even for everyone to have the opportunity to join. So the chat, you can pop in, pop out, say your thoughts, and it keeps going on rolling chat. So you're, whenever you come in, you're part of the discussion mm-hmm. instead of like a certain time and place where it might be the middle of the night for you. And you're like, I want to join, but I want to sleep. The, in the in-person book clubs, does each chapter choose their own book or is it more centralized like you or the people who are also helping you be administrators choose the book for everyone? So it's up to them. I have like a little paragraph I send to them. When someone says they're interested in starting their own club, I'm like, amazing. This is how to get started. This is what I did. But also like I want them to feel ownership over it. So do whatever they want. If they want to read the main pick, do it. If they don't, that's totally fine. If they want to meet virtually, great. If they want to meet in person, that's that's fine too. So I just want everyone to feel like they're the host. They can do whatever they want. But if they choose to go along with the main pick, which I would say 75% of them do, then it's a little easier because we have an administrator group chat where I post like links to book club questions and what works for me and kind of what I've been doing to give them an idea of what may work for them as well. But they don't have to stick with the main pick. They can do pretty much whatever they want to make it feel like an individual and unique chapter. What was the very first book that that you did? Do you remember for your thrillers by the book club? So the first virtual book was The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell. And that was pretty fun because, you know, it was the first time doing a thriller book club. And I was like, okay, we need to pick an easy thriller to get people into it. So I thought that would be a good one because it's not too gruesome or anything. It's also a cult book, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, And then the first one we did in person was Survive the Night by Riley Sager. And that was also a big hit. And then we're coming up to our one year in person in, I want to say, I think it's July. So that's also super, super exciting for us. I'm curious, you know, because you do both the virtual, the the rolling chats, and you do in person. Now you're doing different books, right? For those things. Do I have that right? No, no. You're doing the same same, book. Okay. Yeah. So, well, that that makes this question even more interesting to me because do you get something different from the experience? You know, you're, you're talking about the same book, but you have the chat discussion, but you also have the in-person discussion. And so I'm wondering, are there ways in which those are similar? And I mean, the obvious difference is one's in person and one's virtual, but I, I'm just curious, do you sort of get different things out of each one? Yeah, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I'm very social. So the in person book club is the perfect situation for me. I get to talk about thrillers. I've met like tons of new people and friends. We're not just book club friends, we do stuff outside of book club now. So as far as like that aspect, yeah, that's been awesome. But I do get a lot from the virtual as well. Because I get to connect and meet with people like I mentioned from all over the country. And everyone has such different and unique perspectives. I try to pick a book that I think will be mixed reviews, not necessarily that everyone will like it, because I like having the difference of opinion. I like seeing 
a book that's kind of in the middle where some people love it, some people don't love it. You know, everyone has different opinions. And I love that because you get to learn a lot about people, the way they think, the way they react. And so it's a lot of fun on the group chats because people don't agree. And that's, that's a lot of fun, I think. You know, because you said you have people from potentially all over the world who are participating. Have you noticed any cultural differences or things that stand out to you in terms of things that people from certain places tend to like or dislike? Have you noticed things like that? Not really. And I think that that's really cool because thrillers and mysteries and true crime, it's bringing us all together, gives us a way to like all relate to each other. So I feel like anyone who comes into the book club, whether it be in person or virtual is my automatic friend, because we have something in common. And we have something that we can bond over. And if you have one big commonality, it's so easy to become friends with someone. And so I haven't noticed anything really different, you know, no matter if it's a guy or girl married or single from the United States or wherever, we're all brought together by our love of this genre. And we all can have really good, respectful, honest conversations about it, which is really cool. Meeting people from all over the world is a great way to hear about authors that you may not hear about from the States, but that could be a really great author in New Zealand or something like that. Yes, totally. What has been a book that you think has been one of your best discussions in the book club or has been a favorite? I think In My Dreams I Hold a Knife was really, really good. Like, I think every single person really enjoyed it. If maybe one person didn't, I would be shocked. That was like a universally liked book. And that was cool because I think the author is amazing. And I picked it because I was like, she's really cool. I love her books. You know, in a way, picking a book is supporting the author because you have potentially hundreds of people buying this book, if not more. And so I'm like, I I really want to support her. I read the book. I got an early copy and I loved it. And then everyone who read it loved it too. And so that made me feel so good that you know, we're all coming together and excited about this book. And now she's such a popular author now, which just like warms my heart because she's so nice and her books are so good. And it's really cool because In My Dreams of Hold a Knife was like a very dynamic thriller. And then she also just wrote a romance book. And so I'm like, wow. I was going to say that. Did you know? But obviously you did. But then she just wrote like a romance. (laughs) I know. Crazy. Yeah. I think it's awesome. I'm like, you are so talented that you can do that. You know, I haven't read it because romance is not for me, but I have to assume it was amazing. She was saying about you're kind of careful about the book you pick because so many people in the different book clubs are going to be reading it. Is that a lot of pressure to try to pick something? Kind of. I get a lot of blind messages like, can you please choose my book? And I'm like, um, that's not how it works. It does put you in kind of an awkward position, especially because a lot of people have opinions like pick this book, pick this book, don't pick, you know, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of is a lot of pressure, but I pick books that I enjoy, except for one month, I picked a book I never read. And that was a bad month. So I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I picked a book and I was like, let's just see. And I'm like, "Hmm, no, I'll pick books I know I love and authors I know I love, but I'm also kind of excited to read, you know, new authors. Like maybe this is their first book. Maybe like, I want to give everyone a chance, but 
it is a lot of pressure because not only are you people are spending a lot of time and money investing in this, but also I want people to have a good experience. Not that they have to love the book, but I don't want them to be reading a book that, you know, has too many trigger warnings or I take a lot into consideration in that aspect because there are some books that I love, but I know it's not going to be a book that everyone loves and it may cause people some sort of anxiety or trauma. And so I don't pick it because I want to pick a book that can do the most for the most people. I know for our book club, the one that Amy and I are in, even though we're not the authors of the books, you know, it can happen where you pick a book and it's a book you love and you kind of hope that other people love it as much as you do. But like in our book club, that rarely happens where everybody agrees. So when people have maybe not great reactions to the books you choose, do you sort of get that, oh gosh, you know, that feeling, that guilty feeling or whatever, like they didn't like it. The only time I felt like that was the book I didn't read because part of me was like, I shouldn't pick a book I haven't read because I can't really know what it's about, you know, how it plays out. If I could go back in time, I probably wouldn't choose it again because it just wasn't the most interesting for our club. But if if people don't like the book I choose, I don't mind that at all. If people have like negative reactions, I don't mind it, especially with the in-person because they still all read it they still all are exposing their mind to something new. And if they hate it, that's great because they have a reaction. They have an opinion and everyone's opinion is valid and everyone's opinion is important. And so imagine how boring a book club conversation would be as if everyone was like, yep, five stars. Like, that sounds so boring. So you get to the wine really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that you say that because I think there's a lot of people whose goal it is to pick a book that everybody's going to love, which it's great if, you know, everybody enjoyed the book, but it doesn't make for great discussion usually. And so has there been a book that caused a lot of heated discussion in your group? Not necessarily a book that people didn't like, but that it kind of got heated, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So the one that comes to mind is our March book. We picked This Might Hurt by Stephanie Robel. And it was a very divided opinion. So that book has a lot of callbacks or similar to the Nexium cult. And if you know anything about that story, it, it's a real cult. It's a real story that people were involved in. It's very divisive, I think. And I think it's just the idea of being in a cult is not relatable to a lot of people. And so when you're reading it, people are like, how stupid are these people? You know, like, I this is not believable. And I'm like, well, this was kind of based on a real story. And yeah, it is believable if you know what happened. But I think also that book had an ambiguous ending and people love closure. If it's mm-hmm. good or bad, even if the book ends horribly, you're like, oh, good, I know how it ends. But when it's open-ended... I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that and it keeps them from really liking the book because you're left with questions that you really don't want to have. You want to have that closure, but you you can't. And so I think that caused a lot of people to be like, I didn't like it because I didn't know how it would end or what happened in the future. Now, do you normally pick new releases or do you sometimes pick backlist titles? 
I would say the majority are new releases, but I do pick backlist titles mixed in there as well. I try to pick things that were published within the past one or two months. I know at first we were picking books that published the same month and it was really hard for people to get a hold of them. So we switched. And there was even a point where we would pick two books a month during COVID because we all had tons of free time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I've been picking some older ones as well. And I have kind of a running list of books that I want to choose at some point to kind of break up the new releases. I know my partner in the real life book club, Yolanda, and I want to choose a Stephen King book, an older one at some point. But reading through those to find one is a commitment because they are thick. (laughs) Some of them are quite thick, yes. So if someone wants to be a part of one that's an in real life book club, how would they find out if there's one in their area? Yeah, so usually people just reach out to me directly on Instagram or the account directly on Instagram and say like, oh, hey, I'm in wherever. Do you have a club here? So if we do on our main club page, we have a saved story that has every single in real life club that they can click through. If not, I always encourage them to start one because it is taking a little bit of extra effort. However, you can make it into what you want it to be if you start it. And so I always have a a paragraph I send on how they can get started, what I did to start it, how I could be of help to them. And I always encourage them starting their own because you never realize until you try how many people in your area want the same thing. You know, since you, you've been doing this, both the in-person and the virtual, what have, have you found most satisfying or most rewarding about being involved with these different thrillers by the book club? So one of the things that really brings me joy in life is bringing people together. That's like one of the things that just gives me like pure joy. And so working with these book clubs virtually, it has been so rewarding to see these little book clubs popping up, to see groups of people meeting that have never met before, to see them posting. That just brings me so much happiness because they're all bonding over something that they have in common. And now they're friends, they're, they're meeting in person, they're going out of their shell, like that makes me feel so good. And the same with the in person, like, meeting all the people that I have, I never would have met any of these people if not for the book club, you know, it's just so exciting to be part of something that connects people. And I think that's something that it's one of my strengths is connecting people, not necessarily doing anything after that, but bringing people together (laughs) and being like, We need to be a group. I have a lot of enthusiasm for being in groups of people and trying to form connections between them. And this has been a really, really good opportunity for that. What advice do you give to people who are forming one, like some, some things to make sure that they do or some pitfalls that you, you know, that you've experienced to try to avoid or are there things that you tell potential book club leaders? Yeah, just take ownership of it. Don't be afraid to be kind of like, oh, what do you guys want? When do you guys want to meet? Like, if you're going to be the leader, then be decisive in the beginning. You know, say, I'm super excited about this group. We're going to meet here. Give people like a schedule because I think if people are unsure if things are happening, they just won't go. They feel like too timid. They're like, oh, well, I'm not sure. So if you're like, this is happening, this is going to be great. Don't be afraid to just jump into it because you'll get a lot more response than you think you will. And 
be open-minded. The people that join your group are not always the people you thought would be interested in thrillers. So it's really fun to see all types of people joining in the groups. Read the book is always one because I always feel kind of bad for the people that don't read it because they still want to participate. But it is kind of hard when you're like, yeah, I guess you guys can spoil it for me. That's fine. <laughs> so reading the book. The buzzkill. always good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you should read it. You should participate. Don't feel bad if you, your opinion is different than someone else's. That's great. You know, just say your opinion, get involved, feel like you're part of the group and then you will be, you know, just join in. Well, people are always seem to be looking or searching for a book club. And, you know, I think this is a great way for people to be a part of one and meet new people if they've never been in one before or never formed their own. I love the way that you sort of give people ideas on how to start one. Uh, Now, I think is a good time for us to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Chelsea and with Carrie. Carrie, it's been a little while since we've recorded one of these. So I'm curious to know what books you've been reading. I know. And, you know, it's funny. I actually finished, I think I finished four books during my trip to Ecuador, which I did not expect. But, you know, when you're laid up in a hotel room with motion sickness, you do get some reading done. Um <laughs> This book I finished, I think, right before the trip. I can't remember. It's called The Bone Houses by Emily Lloyd-Jones. And I listened to it as an audiobook. I didn't have any expectations of this. I just, I think I picked it because the cover looked interesting. So it is the story of Wren. You get the sense that it's kind of like this medieval type world. She's a teenager who's been left to care for her younger brother and sister. Their mother is deceased and their father entered the woods many years ago to help uh, figure out something related to this mine. And and he never returned. And so while poverty is a major problem for Wren and her siblings, so is the fact that the dead don't always stay dead. And what they call the dead is bone houses. So these bone houses sometimes come out of the woods. Now, most of the time in this world, if you avoid the woods, then you won't run into any bone houses. But in this story, the bone houses start venturing further and further out of the woods. So Rin meets a young map maker named Ellis who comes to her village. And when the bone houses begin getting further and further out of the woods and actually begin terrorizing the town, Rin and Ellis decide to go into the woods to try to see whether the legend of what makes the bone houses arise is true and whether they can stop it. One of the best parts of the book is that after a raid of their home by the bone houses, the family's goat is killed. Fortunately, she too becomes a bone house. So an undead yet fiercely loyal goat is a pretty great sidekick to have when you're entering the woods. So this undead goat was a pretty funny part of the story. So I enjoyed it. It was just a a fun little romp. So would you say this is YA? Uh, probably. And 
Explain to me what bone houses are again. They're bone, un- they're like zombies. W- yes, basically, instead of you know they can't call them humans because they're not living anymore, so they call them bone houses. It's just the name that they call the undead is okay. is the bone house. That's so. a very cool name for the undead. I was yeah. just trying to figure out like if they were. <laughs> skeletons or if they were like zombie yeah rotting you know it it depends on how long they've been undead uh so the goat you know when she's newly undead she looks just like she's got an injury but over time they keep rotting and (laughs) it gets worse is it scary or no 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 no, no not scary i don't think and then both Ren and Ellis discover some things about their families and about their history when they go into the woods. So there's also that sense of discovery about themselves when they go on this journey. It's called The Bone Houses by Emily Lloyd-Jones. Chelsea, what book have you been reading lately? So I am reading Outside by Ragnar Johnson. Um, with- I read one of his right at Christmas time, then I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm excited to hear. This is his newest one, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. So this is his new one that I think is coming out in June. So it's about four friends who go kind of into a snowstorm in Iceland and they're going on a hunting trip, but it's really cold. They get caught in a snowstorm. And so they see like a little hunting lodge and they go in there in a way it's kind of like a locked room mystery because they're in the middle of nowhere. There's only a certain amount of them. They realize they're not alone. Then it's dark, then it's cold and they're kind of stuck in this area with something creepy. And so it's really good so far. It's definitely atmospheric and that chilly vibe, which I really love. The one that I read was called The Mist, and it's part of the Hidden Iceland series. He's got one that's called the Dark Iceland series, one that's called the Hidden Iceland series, and then I think there's some that are just standalone. The Mist was number three in the series, but I don't think it matters which order you read them in, really. So this one, is it part of a series, or is it more of a standalone? It's standalone. So I always usually read his standalone books because I can't commit to reading a series. (laughs) That sounds like me. uh, (laughs) You know. I know. Uh, So yeah, this one's a standalone, which I really like because you can read it really quickly and there's a conclusion. So it's really, really good. I haven't read another one by him yet, but I really enjoyed the one that I read. And so that's why I was so excited when you said that that's the, <laughs> that's the book that you had been reading. I knew he had a new one coming out. I wanted those early reviews. So I'll have to add that one to my list. Yes, I definitely recommend Snowblind as well, which is in the Dark Iceland series. It's the first one. It's really good, too. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? So I had seen a cover of a book on Instagram, I believe. And it was the cover just really intrigued me. But what was so unique about the cover is that the cover looks like a needlepoint or a cross stitch piece that someone would hang on the wall, what we used to call a sampler. But it features like skull and crossbones. It was definitely memorable. 
So I put it on my TBR. And then when I was on Instagram the other day, somebody that I follow recommended the audiobook version of it. And yesterday I drove to see some family for the Easter weekend. And I thought, okay, if she says it's good on audiobook, this will be the perfect little thing to listen to. So the name of the book is called An Elderly Woman is Up to No Good by Helena Tiersten. Uh, it's translated from the Swedish by Marlene Delargy. I think I said that right. So An Elderly Woman is Up to No Good is a collection of stories all about the same character. Her name is Maud, who is an amazingly healthy 88-year-old woman who lives in Sweden. And Maud may look like a sweet, frail little elderly woman, but she has, in fact, a talent for killing people that she finds bothersome. And she was a teacher for many years while also taking care of her mentally ill sister and her mother until both of them pass away. And she's able to live life for herself, traveling and leading a relatively quiet life. But while she's living this life, sometimes she sees things or people and it brings up memories from her past that come to the surface. And oftentimes it's about people that she just felt needed to be taken care of. And I'm not talking about in a nurturing way. (laughs) And most of her victims are people that she thinks and trying to persuade the reader to think sort of had it coming, you know, like she's just getting like a little bit of revenge. Now, Maude is very clever and she's brilliant in convincing people to underestimate her because she's an octogenarian and people assume that she's old and she's frail and she's a woman and therefore she's not capable of these crimes that are being committed. And so she uses all those assumptions about her to her advantage. And I kind of admired her spunk in that way. There were many parts of this book that made me laugh. And even though this book is about a serial killer, it has a light feel to it. I would consider it sort of like a a cozy mystery, but with a protagonist being the killer instead of the detective who's the uh, protagonist. And there's not a lot of gore in here. So someone who's sensitive to that, who doesn't want to actually see the violence, that's not really so much of a concern here. But this was a very short book. The audio version was just over a little over three hours. So it's it was perfect for my drive yesterday and it kept me entertained the whole time. There is a follow-up book to this, another collection of stories about Maud called An Elderly Lady Must Not Be Crossed. And this author, Helena Tiersten, is a fairly prolific crime writer in her home country of Sweden. And she has a book series about a female inspector with the police as her protagonist. But I would bet that if you asked her, she would say that Maud is really one of the most fun characters that she writes. So again, the name of this book is An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helena Tiersten. I'm totally getting that for my mom. Because she too is an elderly lady who's up to no good. <laughs> it's not involving pushing people downstairs. Well, not yet. No good. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, these all sound great. We are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Chelsea's going to answer her three in the third degree.
We are back with Chelsea Hoffman, the creator of Thrillers by the Book Club, and she's going to answer her questions. Question number one, you have a ton of plants on your Instagram that make their way into photos of books. Do you have a favorite houseplant you'd like to grow, or do you have one you wish you could grow, but you can't seem to get it to? Yes, to both. I like unique plants with different type of looks. So I have a couple that are in a lot of my pictures. I'm sure people have seen my gold dust croton, which is like a green with a bunch of yellow dots on it. Beautiful. Love it. It's so easy to keep alive too. And a friend got me a spotted begonia as well, which is also a polka dot plant. And I just think it's so fun that it grows naturally. So I love both of those. I also have three fiddly fig trees, which apparently is a lot. I was like, (laughs) I didn't know there was a limit, but my husband said the limit was two, but we have three now. So (laughs) fine. They're all different heights though. So we have like an eight foot tree, a five foot tree and a three foot tree. (laughs) All the sizes, all the sizes. Exactly. So I don't feel that bad about it. But I do have a huge problem trying to grow pileas. I don't know why. Every time I buy one, it dies immediately. Hmm. It makes me so sad. I like to think of myself as like a plant mom, but not to pileas. Pileas just, they don't love me. I have trouble the string of pearls. I think they are just so cute. And I have one and it is just it's very anemic. I keep spraying it with fertilizer like, come on, you can do it. And it's like, lady, look, it's just not going to happen. It's not dead yet, which is good. My daughter has two string of pearls and one of them, I mean, <laughs> looks horrible and it doesn't seem to ever get any bigger. It's like one little string, you yeah, know, like it started out yep. as a baby and it's still the same size and yep. it just looks puny. The other one she bought was much <laughs> fuller and it looks okay, but I'm always paranoid. Here's what she does. My daughter is a college student. She buys a bunch of plants and then brings them home and then wants me to take care of them and then gets <laughs> upset when they die because I never said that I was good at taking care of house plants. I get a little nervous about it. You know, I have enough trouble just keeping care of all my animals. I, I can't take care of plants too. It's too much stress. <laughs> Okay, question number two. You have visited 43 countries. So what have been your top three you visited? And which one haven't you seen yet, but you can't wait to go? Oh, gosh, this is such a hard question, because they're all so cool. Uh, But first of all, I would have to say Palau, which is an island I lived on for a year. And when I was in college, I was a volunteer teacher there. So I taught second grade and it's this teeny little island in Micronesia that like nobody has heard of unless you watch Survivor, which is how I heard about it. (laughs) Was this one of those whims that you were like, I'm going to be spontaneous and move to Palau? (laughs) It was. was. (laughs) I I think you're getting an idea of my personality. (laughs) I was like, what's the furthest country from here? Palau? Okay, great. I'm I'm there. I mean, I could have gone anywhere, but I chose Palau because they have a freshwater lake that is filled with thousands of jellyfish. 
that don't sting you and you can hold them and you can lick them and you can throw them at your friend. (laughs) And I was like, yep, I would love to hold a jellyfish. And so as soon as I got there, I was like, where's this place? And it was amazing. It was everything I thought it would be. So that was a really cool country to go to. And it also has like really cool scuba diving. It's a tropical island in every way. So that was a really cool place to live. And then other ones, I really enjoyed India a few years ago, which loved that. Um, It was definitely different than here, which is kind of what I look for in travel is something the opposite of where I live. So that was cool. And then the third one would be Egypt. It was 130 degrees. And I was like, is this what it feels like to breathe in a sauna constantly? (laughs) We were by some temples and I was like, oh yeah, those hieroglyphs are cool, but I'm going to run to the shade now because (laughs) it's so hot. What time of year did you go? Just out of curiosity. We went in May. So it was 130 in May. Yeah, it was real hot. And, you know, you're wearing a head covering and you're wearing long sleeves and long pants. Uh, We're planning a trip again in November to go back to Egypt. So, so cool. Loved it. Can't wait to go back. But it was very hot. Hopefully it'll be cooler in November, right? I'm I'm still stuck on, did you lick one of the jellyfish in Palau? Like I got hung up there and I haven't ever, (laughs) I didn't really move along with the conversation. I did. I did. I was like, do they taste like jelly? Let's find out. (laughs) They don't. Okay. Old water. (laughs) Old water. (laughs) So what's a place, I mean, you've been so many places. What's a place you still want to go that you haven't been yet? go everywhere. I top of my list is Thailand and Cambodia. I would love to go there. I'm a big scuba diver, so the scuba diving in Thailand is supposed to be amazing. So that's the top. I would love to go to Australia just to get another continent, you know. I have two left and I'm never going to Antarctica, so <laughs> definitely Australia is up there. All right, last question. So you are a little library steward. What has been the best book that you've ever found in a little library? Somebody put half the series of unfortunate events series in my little free library. Oh my gosh. And it was so hard not to just keep them for myself. I was like, this is amazing. This series is a classic. So good. I left them in there. So some child was probably very happy, but it was very hard not to be like, I need these books. Because that's an amazing series, and it's I have so many good memories with that series. So yeah. that was very exciting. I have lots of good memories of reading those with my kids. They love those books. So good. Yeah. And the series with Neil Patrick Harris was really good. That I was, think it was Netflix. Yeah. He was really good as the, as the bad guy. Really good as the bad guy. <laughs> Classic. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us all about thrillers and all about thrillers by the book club. If you're interested in a thrillers book club, check them out on Instagram. Thanks again so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You can find Chelsea on Instagram at Thriller Book Babe. And to find out more about thrillers by the book club, to see if they have a chapter in your area, or to get more information about starting your own Thrillers by the Book Club, check out their Instagram at Thrillers by the Book Club. And local listeners in Louisville, there is a chapter here in town, so check it out. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. 
If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.